Hello, everybody. Welcome. Today's passage will be James 2, 14 through 26. And our reader, our lector, shall be Kevin. James 2, 14 through 26. Um, what good is it, my brothers, if someone says he has faith but does not have works? Can that faith save him? If a brother or sister is poorly clothed and lacking daily food, and one of you says to them, go in peace, be warmed and filled, without giving them the things needed for the body, and for the body, what good is that? So also, faith by itself, if it does not have works, is dead. But someone will, someone will say, you have faith and I have works. Show me your faith apart from your works, and I'll show you my faith by my works. You believe that God is one, you do well. Even the demons believe and shudder. Do you want to be shown, you foolish person, that faith apart from works is useless? Was not Abraham our father justified by works when he offered up his son Isaac on the altar? You see that faith was active along with his works, and faith was completed by his works. And the scripture was fulfilled that says, Abraham believed God, and it was counted to him as righteousness, and he was called a friend of God. You see that a person is justified by works and not by faith alone. And in the same way was not also he, the prostitute, justified by works when she received the messengers and sent them out by another way. For as the body apart from the spirit is dead, so also faith apart from works is dead. This is the word of the Lord. Good morning, everybody. Let's pray. Father, we ask that you would raise up faith in our hearts today, that we would believe you, trust you, follow you, that we would be able to say no to the fears and the worries and the concerns, and that we would be able to say yes to believing you, to trusting you, to doing things your way and not our own. We ask, Lord, that your strength would be upon us. We ask, Lord, that our hearts would be transformed as we hear your word. It's written that faith comes from hearing the word. And we ask, Lord, that faith would come from hearing about faith today. We ask, Lord, that you would uh, spark this flame in us and that our whole lives would be the fuel to uh, keep it burning. We thank you, Father, for all that you're speaking to us. And we ask these things in Jesus' name. Amen. Faith has never been, partic has been, never been particularly difficult for me, I think. Uh, I was raised in a Christian background, you might say. I was, I came up, I was raised Catholic, and sort of, I had that sort of, um, that deep understanding that comes from being a kid that first learns my structure of the world with God in it. When I saw the, you know, the patterns of leaves on a tree, and I saw how, you know, patterned and structured and organized and beautiful it looked. I was like, oh yeah, you know, because God made trees. There is, and because of that, there is this trust I always had for God, for God that went like deep down into my soul. But part of why I'm able to appreciate that is because I'm also familiar with the story of my mother. My mother was someone for whom trust never came easily at any point in her life. And if, you, and, and if you examine that, yeah, you could probably trace that to her family upbringing and things like that. In fact, I guarantee you, you could. But the, the, the long and the short of it is, 
she had, it, by the time she reached college, she, my mother had all sorts of doubts about whether God was real. And if he was real, did he really care? And like, what even is out there anyway? And she went to Queens College, shout out Queens College, where her wobbly faith was completely destroyed and where she met my dad. So I can't, it's not all bad. And, um, and just, she was just left with this, just loads and loads of doubt and no hope left in the rest of her life. And through the process of kind of like years and years past, and at 40 years old, the Lord just spoke to her and grabbed a hold of her. She was in a meeting and like a, a particular person who was very prophetic actually called her out specifically to be like, you've been asking your whole life, like, God, if you're real, show me a sign. And like, well, here you are. And uh, she was transformed. So faith is one of these things that we can talk about very glibly in church. We can say, oh, yes, faith is how we are saved. By faith alone, we are saved. As long as we believe, all sorts of things can happen. There are very... Uh, in, in sort of the generation where I, I kind of started to come of age, the, the big Christian movie was the, well, kind of Christian movie was The Prince of Egypt. It's still one of my favorite movies. It might definitely in my top five. And the big song that everyone remembered is, there can be miracles when you believe. And believing is such a simple thing to talk about, isn't it? Oh, just believe. Don't worry, just believe. And but today we're going to ask, what does it mean to believe? What, what is believing? How do we know whether, we are, whether our lives are being lived in belief or in doubt? Because believing and doubting, well, I mean, the most, the most definite opposition in the scripture is not between believing and doubting. It's actually been between believing and not believing, which is not very surprising. That, that almost sounds like a meme, doesn't it? Or, or a, a joke. So what's the opposite of believing? Not believing. But that's actually kind of true. And what you're going to see as we, as we look into this is there is sort of an in-between, which we might call doubting. And doubting is not saying no to, to who God is and what God is calling. Doubt is being on the crossroads. Doubt is being presented with a, de with a decision to make. Doubt is saying, will I believe? And really asking the question, do I dare to believe? Um, a classic example, obviously, Doubting Thomas, who, when, who said, who he was told, one of Jesus' disciples, he was told, Jesus is risen from the dead. And he said, unless I put my hands into the, the nail marks in his hands and his feet, I will not believe. And Jesus says, all right. And he shows up and he's like, here they are. Want to try? Want to touch? And uh, Thomas is like, nah, I'm good. My Lord and my God. And Jesus says to him, because you have seen me, you believed. But, but ha blessed, happy are those who have se not seen and yet believed, right? So even Thomas's doubt was not a matter of not believing. It was a matter of like being afraid to believe. It was a matter of wanting to believe but not being able. And how do we know? It's because when he did see Jesus, he believed, and if Jesus had taken it the extra mile, he would have said, but woe to those who do see and yet do not believe. 
as of course many of you who are reading with John, reading through the book of John with us right now, you're seeing a lot of examples of that. People seeing the works of Jesus and yet not believing. And may it not be true of us. So as we, as we get into this book of James, the book of James, or Jacob, if you're like being a little more authentic, um, we think of this book as being extremely hardcore. We think of it as being like James is the book that says, come on, man, get in shape. It's sort of the drill sergeant of the Bible that makes sure that your boots aren't like put on casually and you're not like standing there with a slouch. He's what it says, stand up straight, do things right. Now, we, we've already mentioned that he does have compassion. He does understand, you know, how people struggle and that people do suffer and that it's difficult to do the right thing. But at the same time, he's always calling us higher. He's saying we can go deeper in our walk with God, in our spiritual life, than we're going right now. And I have to say, if there is a single passage that kind of encapsulates the entire book of James, in a way I would say this is the one. This is the passage where, like, this is the sort of the, the core, the, 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 the truth nugget of the book of James. It's right here in, uh, in James 2, 14 through 26. And this is one that's especially uh, a challenge to us as Protestants. Okay? Now, some of you may, may have never said to yourself, hmm, am I really a Protestant? What does it mean to be a Protestant? What, is it, what does it even look like to be a Protestant? And what that basically means is, it, it, way, way, way back in the 1500s, people said, what you do makes you a Christian. As long as I go to church the right number of times per year, as long as I take communion regularly and don't miss it, as long as, I, as long as I receive all the right sacraments in the right order, and I don't do something unbelievably horrible, some, some wretched mortal sin, to, to mess it all up without it being confessed, then you're good. What's in your heart? Ha, 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 ha. Who cares what's in your heart? All we care about is do the right things in the right order. Not so different, of course, from the Pharisees of Jesus' day who said something very similar. And then a dude came along. He was, a, he was a monk. He lived in a monastery. And he had a particular trial that led him to God. And that trial was he couldn't poop. I kid you not. He had chronic constipation. And it just led him to anguish and anguish and anguish. And in all of his anguish, he called out to God and said, God, are you punishing me for my sins? You know, and being a monk, of course, again and again, he said, yes, God, you are punishing me for my sins. And eventually, he started reading, and he read the book of Romans, and he hit this whole thing about it not being about how, how much we do, how good we are, whether we are, you know, whether all of our righteousness is living up to this, this impossible standard that God sets. It's not like um, if you sell a certain number of Girl Scout cookies, you get your name on the poster, and the troop says, you're the best. And, and as, you start, as you start raising all these different fundraising goals, they start giving you more and more prizes, and your name becomes well-known. A lot of us view heaven that way. A lot of us view the kingdom that way. We say, if only I am well-known enough, if only I do all of the right things, I will be great in the kingdom. And this guy, and his name was Martin Luther, he had a realization as he was reading. He says, yo, 
it's not about any of those building up a whole bunch of works. It's not about selling the most Girl Scout cookies in the kingdom. What it's really about is believing God, trusting God. And he, and he says, yo, guys, hey, I, I figured something out. He goes, I was reading the book of Romans, and I found that we are saved by faith alone. By faith alone. Now, you might notice as we were reading our Bible passage today, that James says, therefore I say that no one is ever saved by faith alone. Right? So does that mean that Martin Luther was wrong? Does that mean that all of us as Protestants, the spiritual children of Martin Luther sitting here, should we all just like go back? Did we mess it all up? What does it mean what does it mean to believe God, to trust him, to follow him? Why is it that we talk so much about being Jesus followers, right? And, and how will I know if I'm following Jesus or if I'm not? Well, James says, when we talk about faith, there's a certain angle we have to look at it through. And that angle is, what, what is my faith doing? So if you can turn with me again to James chapter 2, verse 14. James 2, 14. James says, What good is it, my brothers, if someone says he has faith but does not have works? Can that faith save him? So what he's asking is, is it possible for a person to believe and do nothing? Well, that's a weird question. What would it even look like for a person to believe and do nothing? Well, maybe it might look like a person who is completely passive and inactive. It might be a person who sits on his couch and eats potato chips and watches daytime TV, Lord help us all, and says... I believe in one God, the Father Almighty, maker of heaven and earth. Chomp, 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 chomp. And he's called us to love him and love one another. Chomp, 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 burp. And he watches the next show and, changes the, and then changes the channel. And then you would have, but then, James says, you would have to ask, can that person's faith save him? He would say, well, where does this person's faith exist? For them to sit on a couch and watch Netflix and eat potato chips and just sit there. What does this person's faith even really mean? Is it something that only exists in his, in his mind, in his understanding? Is it simply believing the right things in a creed? Is it, I read a theology textbook and I don't disagree with anything. I guess I must really be saved. Right? Or is faith something more than that? I'd argue today faith has to be more than that. Because if all faith was was believing the right things, the devil would be saved. The devil's going to pass any theology test we throw at him. The devil knows, has more scripture memorized than you do. Pretty much a guarantee. Amen? The devil's ultimate problem is not that he is that is not that he believes the wrong things but that he trusts the wrong person it's not that he doesn't believe in god 
It's that he doesn't believe God. He doesn't trust God. He's in rebellion against God. And so, at times, are many of us. It's, it's one thing to say, I'm going to come to church. It's another thing to say, I'm going to trust God and follow him and do what he says. And this is what James is getting at. What James is getting at is what our faith is and what it does goes deep down to the, to the question of what it means to follow Jesus, what it means to be saved. He says, if you have faith but no works, how can that faith possibly save you? What does that even mean? If a brother or sister is poorly clothed and lacking in daily food, and one of you says to them, go in peace, be warm and filled, without giving them the things needed for the body, what good is that? So also, faith by itself, if it does not have works, is dead. And what he means when he says it's dead, is he's saying faith without works literally is not a thing. How can you have faith without works? There is just it doesn't exist. Because if you trust something, if you believe something, you will do something about it. You will absolutely do something about it. If someone says to you, uh, hey, psst, I tell you something? Your fly is open. You, either, you have a choice in that moment. You either believe them or you don't. Okay? And if you believe them, you say, excuse me, everyone, and you go off somewhere by yourself, and you check, and you fix it. But if you're saying, look, this person who is speaking to me is a known prankster, and there ain't no way that my, my fly is really open, I'm paying attention, there, this person just wants me to check so that they can laugh at me and make me feel stupid and gullible, then you will not trust them, and you won't do it. And what James is saying is, the question of whether you trust God will come down to what will you do when he speaks to you? What will you do when he commands you? Will you listen to him? Will you obey him? Will you follow him? If I were to say to you, do you trust your, and then name, name the person, do you trust your best friend? Do you trust your parents? Do you trust your spouse? We might say, oh yeah, sure, I trust them. Like, okay, does that mean you follow their advice? And you go, hmm, <laughs> I need to think about this one, right? Because there might be people that we care about, but we don't trust them enough to listen to what they have to say. And when, when God says, trust me, believe me, he's saying, be willing to act on what I have spoken to you. And this is why faith without works is dead. Because, because faith without works is trust, is faith that ignores the commands of God. And if you ignore the commands of God, how can you really trust him? How can you believe him? How can you say, yep, we're good, and then straight up ignore what he has to say? It doesn't exist. So in this example... Of, the, of, the, man, of, the, of the, the man who sees his brother and his brother has needs and he just passes them by, he has fallen into the trap of passivity. And passivity is one of the ways we can miss out on true faith. Passivity is one of the ways that we can miss out on true faith. The Lord says, go and do this. 
And when he says, go and do this, we have the, we have the, the, the test, the trial of saying, man, I believe that listening to God and doing what he tells me will be more valuable, more positive, more uplifting than simply sitting here doing nothing. If he says, yo, put down your phone and go call that, that guy over there, then you, then, then you say, wow, am I willing to really believe that the, Lord is, that the Lord is capable of speaking to me and that obeying him will produce a better outcome than my sitting here and vegging out? And do you know where we feel this double and triple and quadruple? When we're really tired. Anyone ever felt so tired that, that the little voice of the enemy came in and said, I'm so tired, don't want to go to church? Anybody? See, I'm a pastor these days, so I'm a little stuck. But, but, but back in the day, you know, I went, to a Christian, I went to a Christian college, and we had chapel uh, three times a week, Monday, Wednesday, Friday. And uh, I, I wasn't always, of course, a pastor. So back then, I had to choose. Am I going to go to chapel? And then, you know, what if there were night meetings? Can, am I going to go to the night meetings? And there were so many times where I'd be like, oh, I'm so tired. Am I going to go? And there was some little twinge in my heart. And obviously, you know, if we're, we're being real theological, the twinge is the Holy, was the Holy Spirit calling me. And he said, David, just go. You know that every time you go and, like, you seek my face and my presence and you're really tired, have you ever come home and be like, nah, I regret that. Wish I just, like, wish I just, like, sat on the couch. I was like, no, each time I've gone, I've been, I've been touched. I've been moved. The Lord has done something in me. And this is what we find as we begin to start stepping out and saying yes to God instead of saying nah and flipping over. When we say, when we say believing God and doing works, one of, the, one of the lies that Satan tells us to keep us from actually doing it is that, is that this is something on like a grand epic scope. He's like, well, if you haven't you know, learned Hindi and moved to India, and if you're not constantly running for your life on a day-to-day -day basis, and if no one has tried to martyr you this week, then you're not really doing the works of God. And when we start, and when we start thinking that way, what we find is we're going to begin really missing out. What was it that James had in mind here? He said, you see the guy that's hungry, so you feed him. You see he needs clothing, so you give him clothing. <laughs> like, this is not something that is beyond our capacity or greater than our ability. What it's a matter of doing is saying yes to the commands that God has given us. It's obeying him. It's listening to him. Does this ex exact example still apply to us today? Yes. Should we still be working to feed the hungry and clothe the clothingless? Yes. My, uh, my mother, by the way, was telling me that this past week she was down in, with a, a particular ministry in Tompkins Square Park, as they've done for the last who knows how long, and over 100 migrants showed up from this, uh, this whole group that has been sent here to New York, and they were, they were wearing aluminum foil, I kid you not, aluminum foil, to try to keep warm because they'd come from Latin America where it's never as cold as it is right now. What is faith? Faith is saying, yo, I have, a, I have the money to give somebody else an extra jacket instead of myself. This is part of what faith is. 
Faith is making the decisions to say, I believe that what God speaks is really true. It's really true that it's more blessed to give than to receive. It's really true that the person who, the person who gives to the poor is lending to the Lord. It says that in the Torah, that the person who gives to the poor is lending to the Lord. And if we, if we believe these ways, it's gonna ch- if we believe the things that God has spoken, it will change the way that we are practically living. The person who says, I'm following Jesus, and their life has no change, is kidding themselves. Believing in Jesus will absolutely change your life. And it doesn't necessarily mean it's going to be this big, uh, dramatic, climactic uh, transformation, like, I'm going to go and and, you know, quit my job and sell all I have and live out in a monastery somewhere. But what it does mean is that we, we follow him and listen to him and help those who are immediately around us. We say yes to him. We trust him. This is what it means to have both faith and works. So he says, um, but someone will say, you have faith and I have works. Show me your faith apart from your works and I will show you my faith by your works. You believe that God is one. You do well. Even the demons believe and shudder. Do you want to be shown, you foolish person, that faith apart from works is useless? Was not Abraham our father justified by works when he offered up his son Isaac on the altar? You see that faith was active along with his works, and faith was completed or perfected by his works. And the scripture was fulfilled that said, Abraham believed God, and it was counted to him as righteousness. And he was called a friend of God. You see that a person is justified by works and not by faith alone. And in the same way was not Rahab the prostitute justified by works when she received the messengers and sent them out by another way? For as the body apart from the spirit is dead, so also faith apart from works is dead. In other words, he's saying, what we do is the body of what we believe. What we do is the body of what we believe. If you want to test and say, what do I believe? Look at your, look at your actions. Your actions testify to what's going on inside of you. What am I speaking? What am I spending money on? What am I spending my time on? Where am I investing my emotions? And he, he points to two examples. He points to the example of Abraham, who was called to give up everything, and who dared to do it, believing God that God could still fulfill his promises, even when those promises seemed impossible. And he gives a second example of Rahab, who I, I'm going to be honest, is one of my favorite people in the Bible, because she was a, a complete loser, Okay? She lived in a pagan city. She had the name of a pagan god. She was, she was, working, she was selling her body to, to earn money. And, and she was about as far away from the kingdom as she could possibly be. And one day the Lord said to her, do you want to change? And the Israelites came by. And she said, oh, screw it. The kingdom, giving everything up for the kingdom can't be worse than what I'm living right now. And she gave everything up and she followed. And her whole life was redeemed. She ended up in the genealogy of Messiah, of Jesus, because she took that one chance, that one moment, and followed and said, yes, 
I believe that the God of Israel is real, and I'm going to act on that belief. And she risked everything, and she won everything. At the heart of it, faith is the willingness to risk. Faith is the willingness to look the fear that's in our heart right in the eye and said, screw this, I'm going to believe God more than I'm going to believe my fear. It's the part of us that's willing to sacrifice, saying, I believe that whatever it takes to, to get close to God and obey his commands, that getting close to God and obeying him will be worth it, way more worth it than what I'm surrendering. And as the, the cool thing about faith is, if we start with the little, then we, then we will eventually work our way up to the great. And in, and in reality, when we see people obeying and doing amazing, great things by faith, when we see people going out and going into missions or going out and sharing the gospel with people on the street, we see this great boldness. And we say, oh man, how does a person get there? Do you know how a person gets to great faith? The same way a person gets to great biceps or great lats. How do, how do you get to a point where your muscles develop and gain definition and get stronger? Anybody? Hmm? Hard work and training. And what that usually looks like in process is you overload them a little bit. And then once they, once they heal and recover, you overload them a little bit more. That's how you gain muscles. And that is how you gain faith as well. You gain faith by overloading what faith you have. I kid you not. If you never find yourself being pushed to doubt, it means that your faith is, your faith is plateaued and is staying the same. I'm going to say that again. If you never find yourself being pushed to doubt, it means that your faith has plateaued and is staying the same. Because the way that we gain faith is by using it. And being challenged. And the way that we use our faith is by stepping out into the realm where we would be tempted to doubt. We say, I'm going to pray for this guy. And the first step is saying, this person is hurt, I'm going to pray for them. And at first you're saying, but wait, I don't want to pray for them. What if nothing happens? What if I say something stupid? What if somebody else could pray for this person better? Why pray at all? And then, and then, you, and then you, you, maybe the first time you're challenged to do it, you just chicken out and say, hey, look, I have a Tylenol in my backpack. Can I want a Tylenol? And like the Tylenol will still be there after we pray for the person, right? What do we even have to lose? But we've, we've chickened out because we don't want to risk being disappointed. So we say, nah, I'm not going to pray. Let somebody else pray. But suppose that the second time God calls us and he says, pray for that person. You go, all right, you know what? I'm just going to take the risk. And you take the risk and you pray for the person. But this time when you pray for the person, you say, Lord, if it is your will, maybe sort of heal the person. And if you're not going to heal the person, at least help them feel better. And if they're not going to feel better, at least help them to suffer well. And if they can't suffer well, at least be with them while they're suffering badly, right? In other words, your, your, your prayer kind of like is lacking boldness. But hey, it's a prayer. And before you weren't praying at all, right? But then maybe the third time you pray, you're going to say, Lord, heal this person. In Jesus' name, amen. 
And by the fourth time now, your heart is bold like a lion. And you're like, Lord, in the name of Jesus of Nazareth, be healed. And who knows, by the sixth time, maybe the person will really be healed. Amen? But oftentimes, what faith means is, is not the lack of doubt. What faith means is the pushing through the doubt. It is choosing to put the fear aside and saying fear, will, fear is there, but I'm going to choose to trust what the Lord has told me. And you know what? This absolutely 100% freaks the devil out because the devil is incapable of this. He's incapable of this. The devil does not know what it is to trust God to do things right. He does not know what it means to put himself aside and believe that God is good. If he was capable of it, he would never have fallen. He would have, he would have said, well, you know, God wants to create humanity. I don't really get it. But you know what? He's good and, I'm, and he's better than I am. I'll believe it. But he's... But no, he, wanted to, he, wanted, he believed that what he was thinking, the power of his own thoughts, was greater than what was actually happening in the mind of God. He chose to believe himself rather than believing in what the Lord was revealing. By the way, this also means that there are some lies that we may need to unlearn in the process of doing this. Uh, for me, one of the big things I have to unlearn is I'm kind of a science guy, right? Those of you who know me, you know I adore science. Science is a huge part of my life. And that means that often um, materialism, the idea that the material world is all that exists, is, is real for me. There, there's a big part of it that says, oh man, you know, <laughs> um, well, if I pray for someone, can I really trust that this person will be healed? And over the years, I've seen enough, just enough stuff happen to know that God really does it and it really works. But man, every time I have to push past that initial wall of doubt to say, screw it, this is not who I'm choosing to be. I want to be someone who believes God and is willing to pray for healing. Um, but let's reverse this for a second. Let's suppose now that you're not the person who's praying for, for the person to be healed. What if you're the person who needs healing? It's a scary thing. When you've gone, when, when every time, you know, every time in the past you've raised your arm, you've collapsed to the floor in pain, and someone says, in the name of Jesus, be healed, now raise your arm. You're like, do I have to? Do I gotta? Like, that, that, that sounds like a really self-defeating scenario. Like, do I, do I have to try? And one of the things you see as you look through the Gospels, as you look through the book of Acts, is that often when Jesus heals people, he asks them to do something. Not 100% of the time. There are times where Jesus does it and it's just his faith working. But there are, there are quite a few times where he'll say to someone, for instance, uh, he'll put mud on the guy's eyes and he'll say, go and wash off in the, in the pool of Siloam. Or he'll say, uh, rise and walk. And the reason why he says rise and walk is because he knows he's asking you to do something impossible. He knows he's asking you to do something that could be really awkward if you then rise up and fall flat down on your face. He's saying, trust me enough to do this one small little thing. Now what Jesus isn't doing, and here's a big one, okay? Because you say, well, David, are you leading us back into a works gospel? Well, what, what would that mean? What that would mean is, 
what if Jesus said, well, hey, look, buddy, uh, I know what's in your heart, and I see what you said to your mother-in-law last week, and he's like, don't tell my mother-in-law. And he's like, and I see all of the things that you've done in the past. I, I, I know what your giving records look like. Uh, I see what you've spent all of the money that you've begged for these past five years. Uh, let's go through the records, and let's see whether or not you merit a healing. Who would be able to stand in that? If God was to audit your life, who could receive an audit with confidence? I couldn't even receive an audit from the IRS in confidence. And I've done my best to do the right thing. Amen? Like, the, so if, if the Lord was to audit my life and say, hmm, let's go through the records, that would be freaking terrifying. But you know what? That's really different than when Jesus comes and he says, trust me, do this. Believe me. Will you obey me? Will you follow me? Will you go where I'm calling you to go? And he knows us well enough to, ex to expect that we're not going to be 100%, that we're not going to live to perfection every time he calls us. There are going to be times where he says, David, rise and pray. And you'll be like, and you'll fall asleep. It'll happen to you. It happened to like Peter, James, and John, right? And those folks are certainly holier than I am. And I think I'm not going out on a big limb to say that he's, they're probably holier than you, too. And they fell asleep in the Garden of Gethsemane. So if you think you're going to disappoint Jesus, I promise you, you will not disappoint Jesus more than his best friends falling asleep on the night of his greatest trial. Amen, brother. Preach it. So, if we're willing to believe him, then we will follow him. If we are willing to follow him, we will say yes to him when he calls us. Now let's talk this through in practice, right? We said that things starts we said that faith starts small and it gets bigger the more we use it. What might it look like to step out in faith? What might it look like to put faith into action? To use uh, Martin Luther as an example from our beginning, the guy who said, hmm, you know what? We are saved by faith alone. When was Martin Luther saved? Was it the moment that he realized that, that he realized that he had gotten this whole thing wrong? Or was it the moment that he took all of the truths he had realized from the scriptures and dared to, to, dared to nail them to the door of the nearby church, Wittenberg Cathedral? His, his, fam his now famous document called the 95 Theses which he guessed correctly would probably get him killed. He, as it so happened, he wasn't killed because the Lord also provided a powerful nobleman to protect him. But, it was, but he couldn't have known that at the time. He said, you know what? I would rather trust God and risk, my, and risk my neck than keep quiet with everything that God has told me. And in doing so, he showed that he was trusting God. And by trusting God, he was justified. Was Martin Luther justified by faith? Absolutely. He was correct about that. When was he justified by faith? When he stepped out with what he believed and did something about it and took the risk. And the Lord honored him. He said, here I, here I stand. I can, I can do no other. You know, epic words from this uh, far from perfect man of God. Now, if we were to say, is, does that mean then that you're justified by your works? Well, let me tell you, if we went and accounted Martin Luther's life, he would fail anyone's tests, okay? It wouldn't take the tests of God to fail Martin Luther. A lot of people could fail Martin Luther. 
But what, but what a lot of people couldn't do is step out and trust God and believe him that he would use him in a time where, where he had to have thought he was going to die. Like everyone before him who had done the same thing had died. And he did it. So what does it look like to believe God? Well, there are going to be times where you'll come to class and there will be a test and you know, oh man, I am not ready. If I take this now, I'm going to fail. And you're sitting right next to the smartest kid in your class and you're so tempted to peek. When you choose not to peek, you believe God and you trust him and it is credited to you as righteousness. When, there is, when, when somebody, if somebody at your job says, hey, do you go to church? And you're like, oh man, I don't want to say yes, but I also don't want to say no. And like, will I feel bad about it later? It is, it is, choosing, to, it is choosing to speak what is true and say yes. If you are someone who is attracted to people of the same sex, and every moment of your day, you are being called into something you know is wrong, and you, you've read the Bible verses, you've read Romans 1, you've read Leviticus, you go, oh man, I know what this is. But, but everyone in your culture is telling you, it's okay, it's an alternative lifestyle, just go and follow what everyone else is doing. If you say, God, I believe what you're saying more than I believe the desires of my own heart, more than I believe the media around me, more than I believe uh, Hollywood and Disney, I'm choosing to honor your word. The world is not worthy of people like this. See, we see, the, we see the great missionaries, we see the great evangelists, we see the great healers, and we go, oh, what great faith. But we don't know what it's like to be the homeless guy on the street who is showing faith because he hasn't taken a drink today. He says, oh, I believe God that he can keep me warm. I believe God that I can manage, that I can manage the pain without, without, without beer. And in believing God, it is credited to him as righteousness. Faith is not just the big obediences, it's the little obediences. And we're really bad at telling which ones are little and which ones are big. But as we begin obeying him in our own lives, as we begin hearing those, the, the voices in our mind that say, you're worthless, and we say, no, I am not worthless. The blood of Jesus bought me at a price. And as we begin confronting these things and saying, no, this is not true, we begin to believe God. And in that believing God, that the muscles of our faith grow stronger, and we are able to handle progressively greater and greater burdens. And the Lord will begin trusting us more and more until we begin to actually look like the people who we're looking up to in faith. How does a person become a giant of faith? By starting as a child. By going back to the beginning and by saying yes in the specific little small things that the Lord asks us to do. Don't be afraid to start little. Don't be afraid to be afraid. Again, this, the, the fear still happens to all of us. When, when Peter did what I think was probably the single most faithful thing that anyone has ever done, and said, if that's you, Jesus, come, uh, 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 command me to come out to you on the water. And Jesus said, come. 
I can't help but think that, that Peter must have been terrified out of his mind. Walking on water is one of those things that just like, it, th there is no part of physics that can make that make sense. Okay? Like it's just not something that happens. A and yet, he, he overcame the fear and he w stepped out onto the, word, the, onto the word come. He didn't believe he could walk on water, but he believed that if Jesus commanded him to do it, that Jesus could make him capable of doing it. And this ultimately is what we're talking about. I'm not saying, believe you can work miracles, because you can't work miracles. I'm not saying, believe that you can transform the world, because you can't transform the world. What I'm saying is, believe that if the Lord commands you to do something, that if he says, yo, pray for that guy and raise him from the dead, that the Lord will give you the power to do it. Believe God that he is good to his word and that he will not call you to do something that he will not empower you to do. Let's choose to trust him. Let's choose to say yes to him. Let's say yes to him in our little yeses and let's, and let's be willing to be built up to the point where we can say yes to him in our big yeses. Let's pray. Father, we choose to trust you. We choose to trust you. We choose to trust you. It's not automatic for us. Our minds will still betray us. And there are going to be and there are days, Lord, where the doubt, the fear, the depression, the anxiety seems bigger than your voice. But Lord, each time we choose to listen to you, would your voice be, be, be stronger and more intense to us? Each time we say yes to you, would you draw a little bit closer to us? Each time we say yes to you, would the muscles of our faith be built up until all of those dark and evil voices would be to us nothing more than, than, than an insect to be swatted to the side. Because in you we have overcome by the blood of the Lamb and by the word of our testimony. We choose to say yes to you and no to the fear. We declare this in Jesus' name. Amen. When was the work of Jesus complete? When Jesus was in the garden of Gethsemane, he was all alone. His friends who should be praying with him had fallen asleep. He knew who would betray him 
and he knew who, he, who would deny him. And he knew that he was about to carry a weight, the weight of the world's sins, that was far greater than anything he'd experienced before. And Jesus, Jesus, the second person of the Trinity, the Son of Man coming on the clouds in glory, Jesus, King of kings and Lord of lords, Jesus was afraid. And not just afraid, terrified. And not just terrified, gripped by dread. And if you've ever experienced dread, the icy fingers in your, in your abdomen, outright visceral fear of what is to come, then you know what agony Jesus faced there in the garden. And you know what it was like for him to say, Father, if it is possible, may this cup be taken from me. But then Jesus made a decision. And he said, but not my will, but your will be done. And he trusted God. And he put his fear to sleep. And he crushed the head of the serpent. And it was counted to him as righteousness. Likewise, on the cross, he could have called down legion, ten legions of angels to come and deliver him, to save him from the unbearable pain, from the unbearable uh, weight of sin that he was carrying. His enemies saw him naked and mocked him, and still he, choose, he chose to hang there. And he put it all away to trust God that his will was better. They offered him uh, an anesthetic. They offered him wine to drink just to numb a little tiny bit of his pain. And he said, no, I have to carry this. And he did. He believed God. And it was counted to him as righteousness. So that at the end, he could say, It is finished. This word we speak today is not a light word. Hey, just believe, guys. No. It's going to mean facing fear. It's going to mean saying yes when the rest of us are saying, oh, hell no. It's going to mean following when we really don't want to follow. But it will be counted to us as righteousness. Let's follow today the example of Jesus. Let's receive together this, his broken body, the sign of his faith. Let's receive this, the cup of his poured out blood for the forgiveness, for the remission of all of our sins and all of our falling short and all of our failures will be wiped away because we have believed him that he can save us. If this is you today, then let's come and let's receive together from the table of the Lord.
we're about to sing a song. Singing a song ain't no big deal. It's just a work. But that's not exactly true, is it? Because for many of us, we've heard this message today, and we know we're in the jaws of doubt. We've known that, that there is fear in our heart that's keeping us from saying yes to God. And we know that because God is asking us for stuff. He's saying, dare to believe and smile. Dare to let go of your self-pity. Dare to embrace loneliness rather than chasing after the wrong kind of significant other. Dare to, dare to care for me. Dare to, speak to the, dare to speak to your family members who don't believe in me yet. And you're like, what? No way. And, you're, and it would, you, you know you would freak out if the Lord asked you to do that. And if that's you, if you know you are caught in the jaws of doubt, and I'm picturing it like, like, a, like a big old beast, an animal with, with big sharp fangs, and it literally has you caught in its, in its jaws. In that moment, let's choose to rebuke the fear and say yes to what the Lord is saying to us. Say yes to obeying him. Say yes to following him. And then when we sing the song, we won't just be singing a song, la-di-da, but we will, be, we will be acting out what we believe by what we do. It will be the down payment to the first step towards saying, Lord, I am choosing to obey you. And let's choose to follow him and go all the way with this. And I promise you, should we choose to do it, if you're willing to say yes to him and not to give in to fear, then you will see the Lord work and your life will be transformed and it will be glorious. Here we go, top of the roller coaster. If you're up to the challenge, let's choose to sing together, guys. Let's go. Lord, every one of us, from the least to the greatest, we all have, have had times where you've called to us and we've chickened out. But Father, we choose today that these past failures do not dictate future failures. But Lord, we choose today that we will believe you we will say yes to you. We are willing to take the risk. Believing that your way is better. That your love is better. And that what we gain in gaining you is better than anything we can give up. Help us, Lord, to say yes to you today. To say yes to you on, on Monday, Tuesday, Wednesday, and Thursday and Friday. that we would believe your word and follow you and that it would be counted to us as righteousness. Help us to see you, that we might believe you and trust you and be transformed to become like you. Would you begin showing us today and keep showing us? We ask these things, Father, in Jesus' name. Amen. May the Lord bless you and protect, <coughs> and protect you. May he cause his face to shine upon you 
and give you grace. May he lift up his countenance upon you and bring you peace. This is the official end of our service. Let's go in peace. Let's obey him in a million little ways. Amen.